if Bitcoin is digital gold that you can prove that you can own this digital gold, mm -hmm. then Ethereum is a, a digital iOS or a digital Windows. It's an operating system. So OpenSea, for those that those for those that don't know, is uh, it's basically a Walmart for NFTs. And at the time when NFTs were blowing up, this was the only place you could shop at. Pursue your curiosity. Uh, the, those that have became successful tended to follow their curiosity and experiment with things um, without the intention to uh, make money. I'm Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. My mission is to help you crush your self-limiting beliefs and embrace being unapologetically you. The Born Unbreakable podcast brings you inspirational stories from all over the world that will empower you to unlock your unbreakable spirit. I'd love to partner with you on your next breakthrough. Go to bornunbreakable.com to schedule a free transformational call. Action begins today. Are you looking for a one-stop shop in Las Vegas where you can comfortably stay and host an event? Athena Estate is located in Southwest Las Vegas, just 10 minutes from the Strip and offers everything you need. On over an acre of land, this indoor-outdoor venue is perfect for an intimate retreat, a small wedding, or a milestone birthday. We offer a variety of packages and services that will fit your needs and your budget. Book with us by December 26th and receive 20% off at your stay or event. Visit staydorado.com, that's S-T-A-Y-D-O-R-A-D-O.com to learn more. We look forward to customizing your next experience. Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. I'm so freaking excited, I can't even tell you because it's a new year. We're in 2023. And I really was thinking about what's going to be the first episode of the new year on the Born and Breakable podcast. And so it can't, you can't just have any kind of boring, uninteresting kind of topic or guest. So I was thoughtful in bringing my guest, Jake Gallen, on the show, because we're going to have a conversation that I think will be enlightening, enriching, interesting to you. Uh, I know maybe I'm a little selfish. <laughs> because it's on subject matter that I personally feel that I could learn more about. And I'm hoping that means you're going to learn something about it. But I was actually introduced to Jake from a good friend of mine, who's also a friend of his named Sebastian, who happens to be my Las Vegas realtor. Shout out to Sebastian, if you're listening. Um, and I learned that Jake has quite a bit of knowledge for one He's a Las Vegas native, which is amazing because I am still learning about being a Las Vegas transplant. It's only been since 2021, the summer that I've been here. So uh, he could give me some recommendations on maybe some secret places that I don't know about. But really, he has expertise in the NFT space. He works with Emblem Vault now, and so I'll have him explain what that means, what he's doing. Um, he knows about the world of crypto, and we are in a dynamic in our economy, in the spirit of entre entrepreneurship, which I do feel despite the divide you know, politically that we're in, the one thing I do think people collectively appreciate is entrepreneurship because so much of that burgeoned during the pandemic and now we're sort of 
I guess, through the the interesting avenue where we can maintain in a, in a pandemic. But people were have been more bold, I think, more brave to make decisions on some new investments, things that may be what you could, might consider non-traditional from the stock market and uh, the real estate market. Um, so my hope today in our discussion is that you're you're able to learn a couple things and follow Jake because he could continue to share things with you that I can't. So, Jake, welcome to the Born and Breakable podcast. Ooh, excited to be here, Des. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, as somebody who began my podcasting journey as an entrepreneur and my professional uh, career as an entrepreneur, who's then moved into crypto full-time, uh, been in crypto since 2016, but full-time since the pandemic, it's refreshing to kind of move out outside of the space and talk to some fellow entrepreneurs where, uh, where I began as well. Uh, the conversations yeah. are a little bit more enlightening and maybe as less technical. Um, so you can have, it could be a little bit more of a colorful conversation. Absolutely. But I want to, I want to get to know you a little personally because you are a Las Vegas native. So just tell me a little bit more about your personal story and then how you got to where you are now in terms of your interests and the things that you're doing today. Uh, we're called a Vegas unicorn. So uh, just a little fun stat that uh, only 25% of the, Las Vegas uh, locals are from Las Vegas themselves, so uh, a highly um, transient town. Uh, it's always been that way ever since I was born. I grew up on the east side of Las Vegas. I went to a high school called Chaparral High School, um, actually one of the, the worst educational high schools in the Valley. Uh, when I was there, the graduation rate was under 51% every year, um, so they had a complete overhaul. Uh, but I did good uh, through my grades as a very studious kid, went on to UNLV, uh, majored in kinesiology, didn't really know what to do in college, but I was getting into health. Um, I was kind of a bigger kid when I was younger and then played sports in high school, did football and track for four years each. And so I figured, hey, if I didn't know what to study, I might as well study myself in college, right? Health science. So went there, uh, joined the API fraternity. For those that are watching, you can probably see some of the paddles in the back. And um, that's actually how I know Sebastian, is that we were in the same uh, Jewish fraternity uh, in college. So while I was there in college, uh, I started working on the strip. I started working at Planet Hollywood Pool as a lifeguard, moved up to, to a cabana host. And then in 20, 2015, I got hired at Omnia Nightclub. So Omnia Nightclub is the number one nightclub in Las Vegas. When I was there for the five years from opening as a busser, it was the top three nightclub in the world. Uh, had Calvin Harris and Zed and Steve Aoki and Tiesto and all the big DJs. So that was a really eye-opening uh, opportunity for me and also uh, gave me, for the, one of the first times in my life, like a, a amount of capital to, to play with. So I began my entrepreneurial journey. My first business was an antique store uh, with my father called Next Gen Pickers. Um, as a family who kind of grew up uh, in the lower middle class, uh, my parents uh, were either construction workers or when that uh, boom or when the financial crisis happened in 2008, um, we had to find something else. So it kind of became an expert in that in yard sales and liquidations and storage units and all that fun stuff. That same year, um, I should fast, fast forward or uh, rewind a little bit. Started exploring cryptocurrency in 2016. I graduated college in 2015. I was really fascinated by this idea of what was called smart contracts, which is uh, what Ethereum uh, kind of pioneered, which is the number two cryptocurrency. I discovered it on Reddit in 2016. At the time, it was called the Ethereum Project. 
And growing up with not a heavy financial background, the technology made sense to me. I was always somebody who was very curious. They never put together that you could purchase this. I just thought it was like a technology. And so I kind of followed it for a long time. And in 2017, opened up Antique Store. I mean, my buddy had a ticket verification app called Chameleon Verified Network, which kind of fought ticket fraud. Kind of was just like hot and kind of this exploration phase of my life right after college and started trading crypto throughout 2017. That was really the first like breakout, uh, like mainstream breakout for crypto. Made a lot of money. And then in 2018, lost it all. But every single Satoshi, which is uh, the which is basically what cents are, uh, what cents are to a dollar is what a Satoshi is to a Bitcoin. I lost literally everything uh, in 2018 and had to start all over. Uh, but I had a lot of conviction in crypto that uh, it was the financial uh, financial system of the future and started seeing all these other applications. And I didn't give up and basically was taking a, like, a handful of what I was making at the nightclub per month and just investing it into crypto. And uh, then in, in 20 or the pandemic happened, I started my podcast and realized that the world was going through a dramatic change, everything was going to be remote, just as we were talking kind of before this, that the podcast originally was was in person and then kind of migrated because you have to be able to adapt to what's happening. So open up podcast, started interviewing Vegas entrepreneurs. That led me to talking with all kinds of crazy people from, from uh, Andrew Yang in person to uh, the Wynn family, the Fertitta family, ghost hunters, like all kinds of people were in town or just reaching out to me and it became a, a top I think top six show in Las Vegas within the first year. And at that same time, uh, NFTs became very popular, hopped into NFTs, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. That led me to selling Mooncats at Sotheby's Auction House um, towards the end of 2021, which then during that same year, my brand was blowing, was, was growing much larger in the crypto space. And so I decided to take everything that I was doing, the Vegas podcast, Vegas content and just pivot it all to crypto and kind of lead uh, Vegas into this like new frontier. And I started talking with, sorry, hosting meetups at uh, UNLV. I was networking with the city of Las Vegas, gaming control board, all these different people to try to bring mainstream crypto adoption to Las Vegas. Unfortunately, they're not ready there yet. They're not there yet. Uh, there's a lot of loopholes or there's a lot of uh, checks and balances that they have to go through. And so I decided to just go full time into crypto uh, until that's ready. And so now, now we're kind of here. Jake, you're a pioneer. <laughs> trying to, trying to. Oh, and then I, uh, I was going to say, and then that led me to, to Emblem Vault, which uh, became a partnership officially November 1st, which um, we'll dive into the details, but essentially allows you to trade NFTs on Ethereum um, from other blockchains. It would be the best ELI5 I could do for the, for the listeners. That's that's good. And I know there's there's five of you, right, that are um, partnering together and we'll we'll get into that. But there's there's so there's so much that you do. And what I appreciate with your entrepreneurial spirit and background is that you do take risks. You do, you know, study what's going on and you um, are committed, you know, so even even through the downs, you figure out how to go back on the up. And I think um, anyone who's listening can appreciate that. You know, even if it's not crypto, that's your industry for whatever it is that you're you're passionate about. You you know what it's like to experience the the low times. So yeah, yeah, it's well. been it's been it's been tough. I mean, I think my crossroads or my foundations is is like entrepreneurship, Vegas, uh, networking, and 
fintech, financial technologies, uh, mostly crypto. And so where those crossroads actually meet between all four of those pillars, um, I think it's still really to be determined. But at some point, you kind of really just have to focus on something uh, when you realize that the other pillars uh, maybe just aren't ready yet to, to blossom. And uh, mm -hmm. so that's kind of yeah where we are today. Yeah, well, and I and I think uh, what I can appreciate, too, is, you know, how you are maybe working in one space and you you build up your capital and then you you continue to invest because I, I do the same thing. You know, it's like you 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 work hard where, you know, you can continue to have that cash flow and then you you place your bets. I mean, and we are in Las Vegas, so there's a lot of actual <laughs> bets. That we do here but i do think life is the exact same way you know you 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 pick your poison sometimes you do super well sometimes not so much and then and then more moral though of the story is is uh you know figuring out what those systems are and and also i think everybody has different risk toleration points that you know allow them to figure out your guardrails for how you you know you do your whole your whole decision making process, but I guess to take a step back because there's some people that might be listening to us going, okay, hold on, before you get way too far down this path, like can you can you just explain maybe in the layman terms um, what what crypto is, what an NFT is, and then we can go from there. Yeah, absolutely. I think even those who have been like us who have been in the industry for even ten years sometimes have a hard hard time explaining because there's uh, it intersects into pretty much every discipline and subject that that exists um, in the real world. It's just has slowly uh, it had a slow build and slow grind, and now we're moving into different aspects of it. So, cryptocurrency is essentially uh, a decentralized. I guess it depends on the jurisdiction. It's a I'll call it a decentralized currency, uh, which means that there there's no central authority uh, who can govern it. And we're going to stick with Bitcoin because it's. Uh, the easiest to explain, it's also the largest uh, by market cap, was also the first cryptocurrency. Satoshi Nakamoto is this pseudonymous group, which means that, or, or person, no one really knows who created Bitcoin. Um, it was launched uh, January 3rd, 2009, in light of the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, these individuals, I think it's a group, more most likely. Um, I think a lot of people tend to agree with that. They realized that these government bailouts um, that had stemmed from 2008 and the financial crisis um, was inflating the currency way, right? And that's kind of what's happening to this day. And they didn't think it was fair that those individuals who basically uh, bankrupted the world and put everybody in turmoil um, were the ones who were also getting bailed out. So in cypherpunks, which are just kind of OG um, anonymous, you call them hackers or just internet enthusiasts, um, had been working on this problem for about 20 years. Uh, David Chom was the first person to um, introduce the idea of a decentralized currency and uh, and smart contracts, and that was kind of in the early 80s. So you could say it's been it had been 30 years that ever the internet and people had been trying to work on this. And basically, they created Satoshi. They created this process called mining, um, which I won't get two two in the weeds of the technical um, aspects of it but essentially what happens is that um, individuals you can have some, a piece of hardware that's called a, a mining rig and in order to verify transactions so if i if i jake send des one bitcoin i need six individual computers to verify that that transaction happened and the way that that transaction 
uh, is verified is through these uh, specified computers who solve basically puzzles, right? They solve um, algorithmic um, or encrypted um, signatures, it's called. So when I send something to you, it's basically locked away in this puzzle and I need six different computers to solve that puzzle to verify that the transaction happened. And once they do, then that transaction is minted in the blockchain. And uh, those six computers who solved that problem uh, are rewarded with Bitcoin on their end, but they have to use energy to basically solve it. So there is a cost to that as well. And so that's kind of the whole mining um, or proof of work concept is was re revolutionary. And so we're allowed to create this digital currency so you can prove that you can own something online or on the internet, which had never happened before. Um, and so because of that, in 2009, um, individuals were then able to take that technology, the proof of work, and then uh, build, on, build upon it. Because everything in crypto, at least for the most part, is open source, um, which is completely different from what you see in today's world. So, for example, Apple, right? Uh, you have this iPhone. I have this iPhone in my hand. And the whole system's closed source. Apple controls all of the data on the back end. They create everything in a closed-end system. We're never able to know um, what algorithms they use, um, how they built their code, their programming language, which we know is like uh, Xcode. Uh, but we don't know. Um, they write everything. And so they control all of the data. But it's different in crypto because everything is open source. So if, I, if the iPhone was open source, then anybody can go and take their technology and then build upon it. Um, and somebody who did create open source code is Elon Musk with a lot of the Tesla code. So that's why you see a lot of these uh, newer electronic vehicles popping up because Elon Musk opened up the patent and open sourced the certain aspects of the Tesla code so that other people could go and build upon it. And uh, for him, it was more of a, an ethical matter because he wants the world to be green, right? He wants more electric vehicles. He believes in competition and he believes that um, if others have this, that it makes the world increasingly better. And that's kind of the same ideal of crypto is that if you open source this technology, then eventually it improves and gets better and better over time. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense, right? That's, that's, capitalism at its finest. You continue to understand competition. We see it in the restaurant industry, the beauty industry, uh, develop the development industry. So it really is the notion of innovation, improvement, and generationally, we've seen things in our time, especially from a technology revolution standpoint that, you know, people probably could never have fathomed or imagined. So with this kind of digital currency, which I think blows people's minds because it's not something that you're you're touching. These are all these transactions that are happening and it's it's no longer, you know, walking into the brick and mortar and, you know, doing that. And that's why it's it's, it's such a fascinating way to have transactions and 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 for you to have a lucrative living if you figure out how to do it, you know, how to do it right. And so um I know you mentioned Ethereum and that's kind of where, and, and I know there was this time when people saw what was going on with Ethereum and was like, oh, this is going to be my chance to, to invest. And, you know, that was, that was very interesting. I think I did the same thing. <laughs> we've all been, we've all been there. We've all, we've all been wrecked um, and we've all tried to dabble into different things, but Ethereum is, yeah, it's the second largest 
a cryptocurrency by market cap. It was the Vitalik Buterin who created Ethereum when he was 19, uh, introduced this idea of smart contracts on a blockchain, which I'd mentioned David Chum and a few others had discussed smart contracts in the 80s and 90s, but, were never, but never had a technology to build upon it. So finally, Bitcoin was there and Vitalik said, hey, I can take this smart contract idea and I can apply it to a blockchain. So he created Ethereum. And to put it in the most simple terms, if Bitcoin is digital gold that you can prove that you can own this digital gold, mm -hmm. then Ethereum is a, a digital iOS or a digital Windows. It's an operating system. So those who have and, and Ether or Ether, the cryptocurrency, is what's used in the system uh, for payments, for gas fees, for transactional fees. Uh, basically, you need that cryptocurrency to operate within the system. So with, with Ethereum, anybody could go and build an app and deploy it on top of the network. I don't know if you've been following the, this issue recently with uh, iOS and Apple. They charge 30% in the App Store of any company that profits over a million dollars. So Elon Musk right now has been battling with, with uh, Tim Cook about Twitter Blue and he recently had to increase the pay because he lost the battle, unfortunately. So it's basically this closed wall garden where you have to play by Apple's rules. And with Ethereum, you don't have to. Anyone can introduce any app. There's no approval process. Of course, there's a cost to deploy it through gas fees and, and transaction fees and uh, a handful of other fees that are associated with it. Not to like a regulatory body or anything because there is none because it's all open source. But there's a cost to deploying smart contracts and, and stuff associated with that. But that's the easiest way to, to explain it. So the, the interesting thing is that if we're going to live uh, in a digital world, the first thing we're going to need to understand and to figure out is how to transfer value. So that's what Bitcoin is solving. They wanted to transfer value from one person to another um, in a decentralized way that no one can repossess it. And so what Ethereum basically does is it allows the, the flow of value, but also allows the transfer of information as well. So people are beginning to build DeFi products like borrowing and lending, uh, derivative products like options and margin traders for those who are the, the, the DGENs out there who, you know, dabble in Robinhood or Charles Schwab or things like that. Those were the first real applications that began to be built on, on Ethereum. Um, because again, there are a lot of traders and DGENs, but we need all these financial products, um, in a digital world, um, to survive. And then the next iteration of that, which actually was the first iteration, which we'll kind of get into is NFTs. So if a non-fungible token, so in the real world, if we're going to extrapolate for a second and move into the real world, what are things in the real world that are fungible and what are the things in the real world that are non-fungible? Well, turns out the, the real world is 99.9% non-fungible. It's a, it's a unique asset that's a one-of-one one that can't be replaced with anything else within its system. So for fungible, fungible items in the real world are generally currencies, the majority of it. So uh, the U we'll take the U.S. dollar, for example. If me and you, Des, if we each had, uh, if we each go out to Vegas, right, we go gamble, we each win 10 grand and we have it in $100 bills. So now we take all of our money, 200 $100 bills, and we throw it on the ground. It doesn't matter which dollar bills we pick up because they all have the same exact value. 
if we move that to non-fungible items, this is pretty much anything else. A human is non-fungible. Uh, most beds are non-fungible. These paddles behind me are non-fungible because they were created by somebody, right? You can't, you can't replace these because they each were created by a different person, which has different meaning behind it. Baseball cards are kind of the semi-fungible thing where you have maybe 100 Babe Ruth cards that are all the same. The, the cards are non-fungible, uh, but they're kind of like a semi-fungible where there's copies of them. Um, but like one-of-one one art is non-fungible. Uh, so most things in the real world really are. So when you move to NFTs, people are saying, okay, what are non-fungible items in the digital world? Uh, the most common thing is generally art and memes, photography. And when you go into, and when you think about the early history of, of social media, I don't know if you're on, I was on MySpace. That was the first social media platform that I had. Um, there is no way, or you see a lot of these same memes and it's still even relevant today, uh, being reshared. And the way that uh, early photographers or early meme artists would uh, kind of put a signature on their artwork is that they put like a watermark in the background, right? Or your signature at the bottom, but it's, but with, as technology improves, it's easy to put that stuff in the Photoshop and kind of erase it and then claim it as your own. So early, uh, early crypto pioneers uh, realized this very early. Um, and in 2011, the first NFTs that were created were actually domain names um, on a blockchain called Namecoin in 2011. That's when the first uh, NFT was born. It was uh, instead of .com, it was called .bit. And they realized that, hey, ICANN, who kind of uh, governs the uh, the dot coms, they noticed that this central authority was repossessing domain names and shutting down websites based off of whatever their their political beliefs are and personal values. So they said, "Hey, let's create a decentralized domain uh, storage system, so that if that ever happens to you, you can still have your website operating and running." And so then this translated to to art, to, to memes, and now you hear like metaverse land and then people think about like gaming skins right so uh, the biggest and easiest example is fortnite a lot of ever most people know what fortnite is or roblox if that game ever shuts down then you're never able to take that that skin or that that roblox or that gun right that you had in fortnite or the hat that your character wears if that game shuts down you can't take those assets out of the game and so the idea of nfts is that if I have a, I'm just gonna say a Jake Gallon T-shirt, right? And um, that's an NFT. Um, theoretically, in the future, I'll be able to take to wear this in multiple games because I own the asset. It's not the the central server of Fortnite or World of Warcraft that owns this asset. And uh, I'll end it here. Is Vitalik Buterin, as I mentioned, that created Ethereum. Mm -hmm. His story of why he created Ethereum was actually uh, has to do with World of Warcraft. When he was, I think he said he was like 13, he had spent years uh, leveling up uh, one of his characters and uh, Blizzard, I think it's Blizzard. Uh, don't kill me, gamer nerds. I, I forget who, who runs, uh, I think it's Blizzard. Um, they repossessed his character from him after years of, of um, working on leveling up this character. And he said that was the day that he realized that we needed decentralization because if, he, if his character was an NFT, they couldn't take it away from him. And so the whole foundation of the whole smart contract thing actually stems from an NFT. Well, what could have, what could have been saved by NFTs? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fascinating when you think about just 
people having autonomy, you know, to do more and have less people tell them (laughs) what they, what you can and can't do in this space. And that essentially is what cryptocurrency and NFTs are providing is additional options for, for people to play with if, if they so choose. So as people are getting educated and I'm sure you get these questions just on a personal level, because people know that this is a bread and butter area for you. What advice do you give to someone who says, Jake, you know, this makes sense to me. I'm slowly starting to get this. How do I go into the world of this digital space and make decisions about investing? Like, I know just a little bit and I don't want to lose everything, but I do want to dabble. I do kind of want to um, experiment. And then maybe as I get more sophisticated, I can do a little bit more. Yeah, there, there's two approaches to this, which is generally uh, you can take the conservative side or, or you can take what's called the ape side, where you just start buying things, putting skin in the game and kind of figure it out later. Uh, that depends on your risk tolerance. I tend to be a little bit more conservative in the beginning and then progressively become a little bit more aggressive with my investing. My highest suggestion is to start with the Bitcoin white paper. Um, if you understand the foundation of of how the system works, and then you have to start learning some of the the lingo and the vocabulary that's associated with only crypto, um, then it becomes easier to then apply um, your interest or your professional um, understandings to the crypto world, um, which I'll talk about in a second of kind of how I got where I am. And once you start understanding proof of work and Bitcoin and the basics, then you can then move on to Ethereum and smart contracts and kind of understanding the difference between a decentralized gold and currency versus a decentralized operating system. And then once you kind of understand the the idea of decentralization and what that means, then you could start moving into kind of the financial um, aspects of it. Or or if you're somebody who's like an artist, then I would say just start with Ethereum um, and then move into um, NFTs and art and kind of just explore it. I tend to do heavy research. Uh, I actually sat around. I first discovered Ethereum in the summer of 2016. I didn't make my first purchase until almost six months later because I just didn't. I just did not really understand it, and I wanted to. What's called going down the crypto rabbit hole, where once you go down it and start researching it, you end up spending countless hours a day trying to really understand it. So I say to be very conservative, but then there does become a point where you have to put skin in the game. And so what it means by this is there's there's a, a physiological thing that happens where once you take value that you've earned and you apply it to something, you become inherently interested in it. So you take, I, I suggest take, don't do a small amount, but don't do it small enough to where you don't care. So I usually say like about 50 bucks to a hundred bucks, take that buy Bitcoin or buy Ethereum and kind of just watch it. Watch watch the volatility go up and down. And um, while you're doing that, um, you're you're understanding your own physiology, your own risk tolerance, um, and then you're also doing research on the back end. And then learn how to transfer money back and forth because that's a whole process. Because currently the UI and the UX for crypto is awful, right? It's it's getting better. It's gotten better um, over the last 14 years, but it's still not there to to let grandma and grandpa play with it outside of just buying it and storing it on Coinbase. Um, so, cause NFTs are kind of complicated. You have to 
download. You have to understand like what a Web3 wallet is, then you have to buy Ethereum, then you have to understand gas fees and transferring it and then buying these assets and understanding it. So NFTs are definitely the most volatile assets to begin with, or it is because it's kind of the new like breakout um, technology that stemmed from blockchain. But it's just, it's pivotal to understand why this stuff exists how it exists and kind of how we got here. And uh, the best way to do it is starting with Bitcoin, the Bitcoin white paper. It's literally nine pages uh, and it's pretty easy to understand. Um, there's maybe 10 different vocabulary words, 10 to 20 that are specific to crypto, but you, you can understand the gist of it. And then there move to Ethereum. And uh, from there you can kind of move out on the risk curve. But those are the two, um, those are the two winners. Those have been, uh, kind of given the green light from the U.S. regulatory uh, bodies as something that's safe to invest in. Um, and once you start digressing outside of that is once you start um, escalating on the risk curve. Yeah, pursue at your own risk. No, but I, I it makes sense. I, and I think just like with anything else, you're trying to gain an understanding of you crawl before you walk, before you run. Um, some people are a little crazy and they just go right into it because they're like, oh, just like you said, they all just figure it out and just and and maybe you have a higher risk tolerance because you have more to play with. And it doesn't mean as much if you lose something, you're like, there's more where that came from. Uh, but I think most people, uh, myself included, are in that category that you described where you probably want to take some time to understand, ask questions. I know that there's that the good thing now with the internet and all of all of the resources we have around us, um, you can find those answers, whether it's you doing your personal research or asking those who have been in the game a little bit longer than you, what they've done, what they recommend not to do and um, just get some advice from people. So I think that's great. I wanna know from you more about Emblem Vault, what you're doing, uh, what's coming, what you're looking forward to. Yeah, it, that, that actually, uh, deserves a little bit of a preface, um, which I'll get, I'll get into my story and how I got there and then kind of what the technology does because the technology is more infrastructure. So uh, I decided that I wanted to dabble in something of uh, selling picks and shovels rather than trying to pan for gold. So I've been trying to pan for gold for a while and I've found a few pieces, but it gets easily ripped away um, from market dynamics. So and this was an opportunity for me to kind of put back on my entrepreneur hat, which I hadn't done in a few years and kind of build into it. But as I mentioned, my first business was an antique store. Um, I did that for about two years I'm with my father and learned a lot about the how, how others ascribe value to certain things based off of a handful of variables between like nostalgia, scarcity, uh, personal value, um, the material value, the age, all these different things. So then uh, fast forward um, to 2021, NFT started uh, gaining a lot of traction. And I had started looking into NFTs more. I had heard of them, but I was, was not paying attention at all. And uh, in March of 2021, there was something that was called the Mooncats Rediscovery, um, where what people were doing is as NFTs were blowing up, they were going and finding these old NFT projects that we're, we're too early to the game. And so Mooncats at the time was considered the second oldest NFT project on Ethereum. And to me, that made complete sense as having like an antique background, right? Like second oldest, holy shit. Um, when you look at the world, all of the oldest items generally um, just increase in value. 
um, and are pretty like secure place to, to store value. So then this kind of spun this whole idea of NFT archaeology um, and NFT historians, where people started documenting the history of NFTs and others began trying to find these abandoned contract or abandoned smart contracts that held NFTs and trying to basically digitally excavate them out of the ground. Um, and so the Mooncat rediscovery happened and I, I had invested a, a pretty penny into it to try to learn. I had a very strong conviction. Uh, again, this comes with experience. Uh, my thesis has always been to um, bet very heavy into certain assets and kind of let it grow from there. That's, again, not financial advice, but uh, and very risky behavior, uh, but comes with experience in the space. So as I was beginning investing in that, um, this whole NFT archaeology thing began blowing up. All these old contracts were being found, hundreds of them. I'm um, going back to different blockchains. And I decided that this was my opportunity to um, to finally build a brand. I'd been watching from the sidelines, tweeting about it, talking about it, but didn't have a, a crypto following at all. I decided this was my opportunity to kind of build a brand within the crypto space. So I began uh, creating Mooncat tutorial videos. I began interviewing some people in the space uh, through my podcast, which was a Vegas-based podcast at the time. And that led me to Sotheby's Auction House, um, where they asked me to sell three Mooncats. And uh, for those that don't know, Sotheby's Auction House is the largest auction house in the world. Them and Christie's, they, they also have a massive real estate arm as well. Um, so had some success there. Uh, got to meet, or during that auction, I sold with Paris Hilton, Steve Aoki, and like 17 other, 16 other crypto uh, pioneers or, or NFT influencers, you call them. And uh, yeah, it the the sale in dollar value was successful um, in terms of the Ethereum denomination. Not as much; it didn't meet what most of us were expecting. But that gave me the uh, the opportunity to actually do what I wanted to do. My uh, Twitter had grown or had doubled at the time, and so then I that's the time where I shifted my podcast um, in 2021, moving into 2022, into this concept called historical NFTs, where I was interviewing all of these. OGs in the space um, who had created NFT projects from 2011 to 2019-ish, right? The idea of historical NFT also sounds asinine, but it's all relative to the comparative age of, of the blockchain industry, right? Bitcoin was created in 2009, NFTs were created in 2011. So when you think like relatively like that 2017, 2018 uh, breakoff point is kind of like what's considered like the OGs. And so during this time, I was building my brand and I began to realize that uh, this, this system needed infrastructure, right? Um, for those that are that pay attention to technology, there's this idea called disruptors that happen in the tech space where these disruptors that enter the space, they either do two, one of two things. They either unbundle something that exists or they take a bunch of things that, um, that are doing well in silos and they package it together um, and sell it in a like booming industry. So OpenSea, for those that those for those that don't know, is uh, it's basically a Walmart for NFTs. And at the time when NFTs were blowing up, this was the only place you could shop at. So pretty much the entire world, two million people were shopping at one Walmart for NFTs. Wow, uh, which which is crazy. They did they were doing literally billions of dollars of volume per month. And uh, what what began happening after space was growing was that different communities began unbundling OpenSea because it was so big it could not satisfy these unique communities for the needs that they needed. So 
for example, the first one to do this was the art community. So all these all these different uh, entrepreneurs began creating just art-based NFT platforms or marketplaces. And then the next one was music NFTs. Uh, Justin Blau, who lives out here in Vegas, who's from here, uh, he's a world-famous DJ. He created a platform called Royal, which is for music NFTs so that artists can uh, sell their music directly um, and that you can actually invest in their songs and get the royalties based off their songs. And then it became Metaverse NFT uh, marketplaces and all these other ones, right, began like unbundling it and ripping off like certain pieces of it. And so as uh, a leader in this historical NFT space, I said, hey, we need to create a historical NFT marketplace to showcase all of these like OG assets. Similarly, it'd be like a crypto or you call it like an NFT Christie's or Sotheby's, which I had, which I had sold at, right? And so I began um, introducing the idea to the public, um, to my followers and uh, seeing who else would be interested to do this. I was starting to really get these like entrepreneur juices flowing again. And one of the other uh, leaders in the space, his name was Adam McBride. Uh, we came to a conversation and agreed that we were going to do this um, no matter who was down. And so me and him were super down. We saw this as a huge opportunity. We began talking to different dev teams. We ended up talking with Emblem Vault about building this historical NFT marketplace. And they said something even better. They just said, how about you just come work with us and do it? And we we're like, instead of doing a contracting, and we we're like, oh, crap, okay. They have a unique technology, which I'll explain here in a second. Um, and Emblem Vault, um, during this last bull run, um, had traded about 40,000 ETH in volume. Um, so about $50 million, maybe a little bit more in secondary volume. Their technology allows you to uh, trade NFTs that are not Ethereum NFTs on Ethereum. So it'd be kind of like the idea of taking applications that are not, um, so it'd be kind of like right now, like a technology that exists in web two would be, it would allow you to take your Fortnite skin and use it in Roblox. That's kind of like a similar idea of it. So when NFTs were created, Ethereum launched in 2015, uh, Bitcoin existed and Namecoin and a few other blockchains had been dabbling in NFTs before Ethereum existed. But Ethereum now has smart contracts, so people generally hoard around Ethereum because it's the better technology. Emblem Vault became a technology that allowed you to take these Bitcoin NFTs and these Namecoin NFTs, these historic NFTs from these, these NFT archaeologists, and basically take them and allow, it allows you to sell them on, on Ethereum, where, all the, where people were trading billions of dollars a month. So with that technology, um, after about a few months of negotiation, um, Adam and I joined the team in a partnership to build this historical NFT marketplace as kind of the, the larger vision. And there's some, there's some features that we're launching actually here at the end of the month, um, which are pretty going to be pretty revolutionary. This technology has never been created anywhere else. We're the only ones who possess this technology and, uh, which is very excited. And it's, the, this opportunity with Emblem Vault is kind of like a culmination of everything that I've done uh, leading up to this point. Again, talking about those crossroads that we were talking about in the beginning of the show. Yeah. And uh, it's interesting because, and I'll, I'll end it here on this note, and then, then we can move on. There's a trend in crypto at that hap that's pretty popular right now where the dev teams who build super awesome projects, they, they have issues with communication, with branding and marketing. So what they'll do is they'll go seek out the influencers or the leaders in their niche 
art NFTs, music NFTs, storytelling NFTs, whatever it is. And they'll basically hire those influencers and bring them on the team. And then instead of instead of the hire as saying like Jake is Jake now works for Emblem Vault, it's Jake and Emblem Vault. And so they use the brands to amplify each other's messaging mm -hmm. because you already have a an internet community. You don't want that internet community to be swallowed up by somebody else. That internet community is there for you. So they hired me and Adam. I, I have 10,000 followers on Twitter. Adam has 30,000. Um, so they took two of the top five leaders in the historical NFT space, come on the team and help build it with them and uh, kind of use our media, um, use our media influence and also our knowledge in the space to um, build an awesome product. And that's yeah. the, and that's where we currently are today. I mean, it's amazing because really you're, you know, I think people can relate to being collaborators. So it's not to to have one brand or name overtake something. So now you've diluted, you know, maybe those subject matter experts, but it's really elevating, you know, the presence and and expanding the the network so people have more resources to understand this excavation in this case, mm -hmm. you know. Your your fossil finding and your, your, your and this like oh, man. It, yeah Which, it's a it's an insane it's an insane space it it, yeah. it truly is but it's a, it's a blessing to be here yeah no it's so it's dope and I and I think that that um, coming together that that is how innovation happens you know you take people who are good at what they do have uh, that deep subject matter expertise because they've studied something for long enough I mean anyone who's listened and gone to school of some kind for an extended period of time knows when you meet a professor and they know everything about everything is they've, you know, in academics, you spend years and years of year and years doing research, getting really good at something. And then, you know, you, and, and you do end up with this history. And that's what I think is so fascinating about this topic is because people who are just getting introduced to this are thinking it's brand new and there's actually quite a history um, you know, which you've shared where things have changed and evolved over time. So if you are coming into the the game or this world now, um, you, you've benefited from the perspective that it's evolved to a place that needed a lot of churns um, back then when you probably really couldn't find as much in the early 2000s. And you're you're really treasure hunting in a different way back then. And now I think there's just a, a much more of um, an aptitude so I'm curious because, you know, people also might say, okay, this is really great. This is kind of like my 101 introduction. I have enough to go on to do a little bit of research, start making some maybe initial investments. What are communities or things that maybe you follow or suggest that will keep people? Because it's like you said, once you make a commitment, all of a sudden you're invested and that $50 turns into 500 or and turns into more. So you at least want to make sure you're a part of these groups that you can raise your awareness and knowledge and, and start to, to become more versatile. Yep. Uh, when, when you're diving into the NFT space specifically, uh, and I actually do believe that the NFT space is uh, probably the better opportunity for retail, but um, I think is going to be the retail dominated um, sector of crypto. It's, it's onboarded, NFTs is onboarded more people than, than Bitcoin ever, ever has. Um, Actually, not true, but um, from a from a call it normal normy or non technically minded individual or space, uh, NFTs are doing a better job at that. And Doge, which is just a bunch of meme coins, which also kind of uh, coincides with with NFTs. If you're going to dive into 
to NFTs, I suggest just going with art first, um, right? At the, if you buy something um, visually stimulating to you, um, and the value, and you spend a hundred dollars on it, and then the value goes to, to effectively zero, you can still take that image and and hang it on the wall through a digital picture frame. It's still something that you enjoy, and you like to support individual artists. So the the risk there and the volatility is much lower. Um, and you can also do it from an interest perspective, but it, I think it's important to, to pursue what interests you the most when it comes to, to non-fungible tokens or items. Do you like art? Do you like music? Um, are you into gaming? Uh, do you, do you like history? Do you like collectibles? Um, do you like hype and branding? Do you like trading cards, right? There's so many different aspects to it that, it's hard to to tell people where to go first because the best place to go is whatever you're interested in. If you're in it to make money, that's okay. Um, a lot of us are here to make money, right? You, what's it? You stay for the, you came for the tech and stayed for the gains. That's kind of like the, the cliche crypto um, motto. Yeah. But it, it's tough to know nowadays, especially with a lot of uh, younger individuals who are getting into it, who, who are kind of born into this content creator world. Um, that were just born into technology, they grasp it much faster because they were born into this digital world. They spend 12 hours a day online. They they know how to video edit. They know how to make memes. They know how to uh, perfect an Instagram picture. They know how to, the lingo works and chat rooms and all this stuff. So for them, it's easier for them to just ape in. Um, if you're an older individual or somebody who's just not technically minded, I would say go to OpenSea and just kind of browse the images and see and browse the different categories. OpenSea is the most user-friendly NFT marketplace. So most people are familiar with Coinbase. Coinbase is probably, it's a pu American publicly traded company that sells cryptocurrency. Um, and that's for fungible tokens, right? They also have an NFT marketplace. If you want the Coinbase for NFTs, it's pretty much OpenSea at this point in time. Um, there's a lot of tutorials on that website as well to help explain things. Um, everything on there is also denominated in Ethereum. So this is where you get these like crazy prices is that when people are, when you're buying NFTs, you're buying, you're spending 0.1 ETH, 1 ETH, 10 ETH, 100 ETH, 1,000 ETH. And then the ETH, Ethereum is also a volatile asset, right? So while you're buying these and people are trading, Ethereum's going from 1,000 to 2,000 to 1,500 to 1,200. So this is where you get these like, crazy price runs where people were talking about buying uh, monkey pictures, you know, for a million dollars, $2 million, which, which still does happen uh, because that's more of a club than it is anything else. So you're basically buying a ticket to a club. People have, people historically have spent hundreds of thousand dollars to get into whatever the top golf club is or the, whatever, or the, to go stay at fancy hotel with everyone else or go to these, lavish music festivals right all the people who went to fire festival thought it was like this like influencer fire right influencer yes. festival where they're all paying thousands of dollars yeah, so netflix documentary no. yeah <laughs> so so this this kind of idea of like buying status into a club is not anything that's new it, yeah. the, the the medium is new right the medium is now a digital economy or a digital social club uh so depending on where your expertise is and what interests you is it's tough to really know um, but I guess that if I had to make a suggestion, the best way to go is to just dive into art NFTs and explore that the, the art medium is also changing, which maybe will start uh, turning different things in your mind of saying, oh, 
art is now more than just a static picture. Art is a video. Art is a GIF. Art is AI. Art is generative. So there's all these different things that can be applied to it. And then uh, kind of move on from there based off of um, based off of how much skin you put into the game um, and then can kind of learn more from there, from these different uh, these different platforms and leaders. Yeah, but that but that's logical. You know, you pursue you pursue something that you're interested in. And I think everybody knows based on your habits and where you spend the most time, that's going to probably direct you pretty well. Uh, you know, like in the first few minutes when you meet someone and then you that you ask about your interests and that's what's on all the different kind of profiles that we fill out. There's something right that yep, we're affecting, yep. whether it is music, whether it's, you know, art, music, all that, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. But um, before I jump into asking you just a, some questions about you so <laughs> people can, can know you more and then, of course, know how to follow you, is there anything else that you want to share about upcoming projects or things that would be interesting for people to know? Yeah, uh, one tip first before I go into like specific projects is if you want to learn more about crypto outside of just your own um, due diligence, uh, Twitter is where 90% of communication happens. I know a lot of people don't like Twitter. Um, it's it's a probably a small social media platform with like 300 million people. That's where nine, that's where the crypto culture lives. If you understand the crypto culture, um, it'll help you uh, make better decisions. Mm -hmm. um, second is probably podcasts. Um, and then third would probably be discord and YouTube. Yeah. You got to be careful when you're on YouTube. If you see a video where somebody's telling you a token is going to go a thousand X run as far as way possible. Cause a lot of these people get paid to promote certain things. So just, you want to look for informational content like this conversations where people are honest. Um, and also Generally, people who have doxxed themselves, which uh, kind of goes against the ethos, there are uh, there are some honest anonymous or pseudonymous people, but a lot of the people who communicate in crypto uh, were born off this cypherpunk movement, born off of anonymity, encryption, and you know, kind of fighting the man. So a lot of uh, a lot of those that even go on my podcast, a lot of the crypto people I've interviewed, um, it's me talking to a voice on a screen, right? Because I they want to protect their um, their anonymity. So some suggestions um, from like credible places to look for would be Bankless is probably probably the best beginner um, place to go to for everything Ethereum and smart contracts. Um, the Defiant is also a good one. And then um, go on to Coinbase, Coinbase Earn, where you actually get paid to learn, uh, which is on their platform and their publicly traded company. Um, and then from there, when you're on Twitter, you can kind of like look and find different accounts that maybe pique your interest. Like for me, I talk mostly about historical NFTs. There's other artists who talk about art. There's people who talk about investing. And from there, you could kind of like make your better decisions. And uh, I suggest even going and creating a Twitter account, um, create an anonymous account. You don't have to put your face out there. Call it, uh, I don't know. Crypto butterfly, put a butterfly there, and then just start following accounts and interacting with people. Um, that'll I'd probably do better than a fifty thousand dollar degree at a university, because there is no there's no central authority who's telling you you're good, you can do anything. Anyone who's successful in crypto um, just basically went in and learned on their own and uh, 
did their own research and then began engaging with the community and asking questions. Mm-hmm. And then they, be, they became successful. When it, when it comes to projects, of course, Board Ape Yacht Club is the, is the number one. Yuga Labs, this is like the, I compare it to like the supreme of, of uh, NFTs. If we're trying to, if we're trying to uh, make parallels to the real world, this is really what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, at least today they're doing, now they're going to moving into music festivals and all kinds of other things. Uh, CryptoPunks is the top OG project uh, from 2017. They're kind of the, the project who started this called Profile Pictures, where basically people buy these NFTs, they put it as their Twitter profile, and now it's essentially acting as a digital Rolex, right? If you have a, an NFT that's an image of a person <clears throat> or like a person, and you just paid 200000 for it, right? You, it's essentially like wearing a $200,000 watch or driving a $200,000 Lambo in. But this is just the digital uh, transformation of it. Uh, rare Pepe's I'm a big fan of, if you like history. Uh, Pepe is this frog that is just memed all over the internet. He's pretty much the Mickey Mouse of the internet. Um, and he's basically the uh, the meme for crypto. So in 2016, the, the birth of crypto art, a lot of people like to call it, um, was people taking Pepe and they turned it into 1,774 different um, iterations of NFTs of Pepe. Pepe as Donald Trump, Pepe as... Uh, a Vincent Van Gogh painting, Pepe as a trash can, right? And uh, it, it it was comprised of over 300 different artists um, who submitted work over two years. And uh, that's kind of like the birth, if you want to look like the history of crypto art. That's really where the decentralized art movement started. And uh, now, if we look in today, you have um, some traditional uh content creators and, and entrepreneurs moving into the space. Tim Ferriss just created a project called Cock Punch. He's trying to dive into like the mimetic value. Gary Vee's probably done this most successfully with V Friends. He's basically tokenizing his time where they, each each NFT in the collection is a three-year pass to his V conference, is, which he's held at a stadium. He's done it once so far. But then some of those other ones represent things like Podcast Panther, where Gary Vee will come on your podcast once every eight months. Have like FaceTime Ferret, which he'll do a FaceTime with you. He even has one uh, that has to do with uh, New York Knicks tickets, where you could go and sit on the sidelines with him, front row to New York Knicks, as long as you have that NFT. And I think the most expensive one's called Empathy Elephant, where you, act, if you own this, you get to brand your own wine within his uh, wine collection. So you people began to understand that you can also take NFTs and you know you can tokenize your time, you can tokenize your intellectual property. And of course, my favorite is Mooncats. That's kind of like what started. That's kind of what started my uh, NFT journey. It's gave me all my success. Uh, it has actually created in 2017, right after CryptoPunks, and it was one of the first ever generative uh, NFT projects. Which basically means it was one of the first ever NFT projects where the art was created by an algorithm. And out of four billion potential possibilities, um, ended up at twenty-five thousand. And uh, it's kind of, it was also like the first cat NFT project. And there's a lot of firsts and uh, nuances to it. But um, if you just like cute animal pictures that are pixelated, uh, pixel art is generally pretty nostalgic for millennials. Um, you'll see a lot of pixel art um, that uh, translates through the NFT space and has found a lot of success. Yeah, I love I love animals. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, right there. But you know, you did mention podcasts as being um, one of the great resources for people to learn. So I do want to mention your podcast, the Jake Gallon Podcast. You've been at it for a while. It's been three years of you being in this dynamic space. So I would highly suggest that people go and follow and listen to Jake because that is a great source of information. Um, and plus, you just have a lot of interesting things, you know, personally in the Vegas space. So, you know, people can uh, kill a couple birds with one stone, learn a little bit about um coming out and doing things in Vegas, but then also really educate yourself on this space that is con continuing to be, you know, the future of where we go. D digitalization, technology, um, you know, like, like you say, even if you are a little older and it seems a bit overwhelming or, um, you know, it's okay to go to your grandkids. It's okay to, <laughs> to mm -hmm. do those things. I mean, I think we, we, we do that kind of stuff all the time, you know, go, go, Make a shortcut for yourself and, and um, you know, identify those resources that can help you skip a couple of steps so you don't feel like you're uh, out there in the wild. Yeah, you're wild. Lost, lost into the ether. Uh, I'll make a few suggestions for podcasts. I just pulled my phone up um, that I think is credible. Uh, NFT Alpha podcast, uh, The Wolf of All Streets, Bankless, nice. uh, the Gary Vee Audio Experience actually talks, he talks a lot about NFTs on his, The Pomp podcast. Uh, NFT now, what Bitcoin did, overpriced JPEGs, proof with Kevin Rose, Empire, and uh, the All In podcast, which is uh, not just about crypto, it's just about fintech. Uh, if you really want somewhere to start and learn about uh, macro, macro politics, macroeconomics, the All In podcast is uh, is a good start as well. Got a lot of options, people. Don't, a don't, lot, a lot. you didn't walk away from this episode knowing where to go from here. You know, this was like the appetizer and now you can uh, go to dinner at a lot of different restaurants. <laughs> uh, steak dinner, steak dinner. Go get your steak dinner and uh, I get more. But, you know, I, I appreciate so much you sharing your knowledge. Um, it's so evident that this is your passion and I feel honored to be able to learn from you and to know you um, now that you're out here and um, that I know you're out here locally because we can actually get together in person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I, you know, I do want to just ask you a couple things as we close. Um, I'd love to know, you know, this is a new year We're we're starting off and this adventure of, of, I, I like the beginning of, of new years because it's that, that essence of hope and possibility and and just giving yourself grace for like maybe shit that didn't work out it's fine you know wife give yourself a new canvas you know to kind of move forward if you had to say what your word of intention is for the year what's a word that you would choose so it's actually a phrase and it's a, a phrase that um is actually popularized and trademarked but um it's something that i <clears throat> that i believe in and i've abided by for uh, 15 years now at this point uh, is just do it. And I, I think Nike has the best quote. It's simple. Um, if it's, if it's, if it's a task that needs to be done in five minutes, just do it. If it's a task that's going to take months, then just get it started. And yeah. uh, to me, it's the best way to attack any situation. I agree. 
one of the biggest, most successful brands there is. So I, I agree with that. What do you want to spend more time doing this year? I want to get back to reading. Uh, I used to be, I used to be a huge reader. And then uh, once I started my podcast uh, in 2020, I kind of went out the window because I was uh, recording, editing, doing everything on my own as one person show. And, uh, I want to get back into reading philosophy um, and, and autobiographies are like two of my, my favorite styles of books to read. I love that. That is awesome. What is one of the biggest success principles that you've followed that has helped you in your life? Pursue your curiosity. Uh, the, those that have became successful tended to follow their curiosity and experiment with things. Um, without the intention to uh, make money. Um, and that's when you really stumble upon innovation um, and success. And throughout my own research of of historical NFTs, and even before I was even in the crypto space, when, uh, again, as somebody who likes to read a lot of uh, biographies and autobiographies and philosophy, these individuals who are pursuing their curiosity, um, for example, like Steve Jobs with and, uh, and Wozniak or, or Bill Gates, or Warren Buffett with with uh, investing, or or Jeff Bezos with the Everything Store. Um, they all first just did it, and they pursued something in the face of um, discredit. Nobody thought they could do it, and they knew it was going to be a long, long journey. Probably take their entire life to do it, and uh, that curiosity got them to where they are today. Yeah, I. It's one of my favorite. Favorite things to live by is that intellectual curiosity and just to is to pursue that because you can never go wrong with with learning more and expanding your your aperture. Jake, when we first started uh, our conversation, I was mentioning to you that one of my goals is helping people overcome their self-limiting beliefs. I'd love to know at one point in your life what a self-limiting belief was that you had to overcome. Oh, wow. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot even <laughs> in this conversation that uh, we had talked. Uh, a self-limiting belief was, I'll give a little bit, a little bit of a story. Is, uh, when I was in college, I was a big party kid, even high school. Um, and a self-limiting belief was that I needed alcohol or substances to, to make uh, a situation better and to improve it. Um, it led me to making a lot of bad decisions. And I actually got sober for three years. Uh, because of it to pursue entrepreneurship because it put me in such a bad spot um and the limiting belief was that there needs to be some sort of lubricant um within every situation that happens mm-hmm. turns out when you're when you're sober and there is no lubricant you realize that it's all just a sham right it's all mental gymnastics that you tend to play with yourself for some sort of reason although some of these things do generally can't do generally uh improve the situation eventually that uh, that fabrication turns into a reliance, right? And then that reliance turns into an addiction and then the addiction just becomes like, uh, it kind of becomes destruction. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, after those three years, um, it helped me. I am back to like partying and having fun, but um, that was a, a game-changing thing in my life because I don't think I would be here today without that kind of um, break period to, to break all of those habits, those bad habits that had formed over the years. Yeah, that's that's huge. What a revelation. Well, and a, and a commitment to yourself to, to make that kind of 
habitual sustained change. Jake, if there was one last piece of advice that you could give to the audience listening, what would it be? Yeah, there's there's so much out there to believe. Uh, I've gave a handful of quotes that I tend to to live by. Um, I would say, in today's climate and with a, a rapidly appreciating uh, creator economy and um, digital economy and kind of how the world's changing, uh, it'd be to seek exponential wealth. Um, this is a, a change that I had made um, during the pandemic. The idea that if you rent your time out um, and with this lin with um, a linear trajectory, right? I give you my, I give you eight hours, you give me this much money. Um, you're never going to really get anywhere. I don't think you'll, or, and it's okay to not want to achieve great success, but those very successful people in life um, either traded financial assets or they had equity in something, whether it's their own business, uh, a partnership, or a, uh, a mental stake um, in a, in a new movement. Um, those that is where success is generally found. And yes, you could be successful. You could go to college. You can become a doctor and make two hundred thousand a year and kind of call it a day. But um, where the world is moving, uh, exponential returns are possible. And I'll end on this example: Joe Rogan is putting in the same amount of effort today and time than he did 13 years ago when he started his podcast. Mm -hmm. Still doing three-hour podcast as he did in 20, 2009, as he is today. And now his returns are literally from free to over $100 million a year. Doing the same exact thing that he's doing. He just stuck with it, pursued his curiosity when there was less than a few hundred podcasts at the time. Yeah. He... um he cut down all the boundaries. He, in the face of everyone telling him that it's not going to lead anywhere, it did. And now he has exponential returns. And it's not just financial returns either. The social capital returns, which is something we didn't even cover, which I'm a huge fan of. Mm -hmm. The compound, the compounding effects of, uh, of a social return of building an audience. And you know that one audience turns to two, which turns to four. And then you get a, a viral episode. And then that turns to 400. And then that turns to 4 million. And now he's the biggest show on, on the planet doing the same exact thing that he did because he believed it himself and, again, pursued that intellectual curiosity. Yeah, it's all connected. <laughs> right. It really is. It really is. And the Internet is uh, making that easier today. There's thousands, if not tens or hundreds of thousands of people, um, or you could say millions, who are living through the Internet and never have to leave their house um, and are having uh, successful lives with uh, compounding returns. That's right. Rocking those pajama bottoms and fuzzy slippers and making hey, I it got happen. I got sweatpants on, so. <laughs> hey, and, you know, some people choose not to, and it's still okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. But the important question is, how do people follow you? You mentioned Twitter. It sounds like that's a great place to start. What else? Twitter and anything else that you want to say where people could find you. Yeah, Twitter Twitter's where I spend most of my time. I'm on every platform. It's at Jake Gallen, J-A-K-E-G-A-L-L-E-N. That's Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Uh, the podcast is Jake Gallen Podcast, 250 episodes. Uh, and YouTube. YouTube, I have the podcast on there. I also have other curated content. I mean, I, I created a bunch of YouTube-like videos for crypto in Vegas and lifestyle videos and, and uh, just exploring what it is to be a content creator. 
yeah. but you can find everything my story actually on jakeallen.com is probably the best base place to start depending and so that you can use uh or you could find me through whatever um whatever medium of expression digitally uh you prefer the best right everybody's got that something right mm -hmm. that go to they might have 10 but it's the one <laughs> that they go mm -hmm. to the most so pick pick your poison and I love that it's consistent, so you you won't forget. <laughs> you just yeah. know Jake's name, and you could find him on any platform. Um, but this has been so enlightening. This, for me, has been a refreshing way to start the year. I know I personally needed a little bit of a break, so I took some longer breaks in between episodes, which is kind of unusual because I do tend to pump out two a week. And and who knows? I think with this uh the space that we're in, that's the latitude that we have. If you want to do lots of episodes, if you need a break or whatever it is, I think that's the beauty of this this kind of medium is uh, you could go as fast or as slow as you want to. As long as you're 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 living the mission to help and educate other people, then you're you're in the, you're going in the right direction. So thank yeah, you. Uh, no, thank you for inviting me. This is also very refreshing. This is my first guest guest pod of the year. So uh, we do get to start this off together. Uh, very excited for 2023 and beyond. I think uh, you and I both uh, are positioned properly um, to reap some of the rewards um, after kind of a depressing year in 2022, I guess, uh, economically. Um, but as, as long as we've stuck in, uh, we'll find a lot of success. And I hope everyone else enjoyed this con this uh this conversation just if you ever have any questions about crypto shoot me a dm on any of the platforms or an email and i'll happily reach out um, whenever i search through those inboxes amazing i love it you know uh i appreciate you i appreciate your time i look forward to us connecting more in the future yes lunch sometime soon absolutely thanks so much jake episode 137 jake gallon nft crypto connoisseur aficionado really cool way to start the year now i know in a down economy when people are looking at things like inflation increasing prices pinching pennies a little bit more having a little bit more concern about the future where you're investing your money it might be scary to you to think about the gamble of trying new things. The stock market, the real estate market has been around for decades and decades. Uh, as you heard from Jake, who has studied crypto and NFTs for quite a while, 2009, you know, we're, we're talking about just after the 2000s, learning more about a space that is volatile because it's decentralized and there are low lows and high highs. And if you study it enough, then maybe you'll be fortunate to reap some of the benefits um, until things become more stable. And when things last long enough, who knows where it can go to have more regulation than there is today. And there's always pros and cons, right? We've seen illegal, Things become legal, and you might ask anyone today who owns a dispensary, for example, what their viewpoint is, if they liked it when things were on the under, on the low, or if it's better and more fruitful when 
things are legalized and you could do it a certain way. So there's a lot to learn in the world. And I like this to be a platform where you can explore a little more, tap into your creativity, your ingenuity, your entrepreneurial spirit, and find what works for you and tap into those resources who might be able to help you uh, grow and expand your mind a little bit further. What are your intentions for 2023? Where is it that you want to be intentional about spending your time? And who are the people that you want to spend it with? Think about that. Remember, as I always say, I did last year and I will continue to say it today in 2023 as we embark on this brand new exciting year. It's about action. You are your only limit, so take action today. I love how Jake was talking about just do it. It might be something that just takes you a couple minutes to complete something that's been on your list, or maybe it's something far loftier, and you just need to get it started so you could take that first step and make progress. That will be what I land on today. Just do it. See me back here on the Born Unbreakable podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts for the next episode, of which will be another exciting guest that you could learn from. Make sure to be following Born Unbreakable on all platforms and share this episode. Share this episode who with someone who might need to learn a little bit more about this space, has some interest and just needs to expand their mindset a little more. That is the goal of this show. Thank you for tuning in and I will see you next time.